Welcome to the Mid the Pines podcast, a place where Grove City College alumni and faculty give voice to their unique stories, contributions, and accomplishments. Our community is blessed with many individuals who are often recognized for their proficiency, purpose, and principles, all celebrated hallmarks of the distinctive Grove City College education. Learn more about their God-given callings and the work they are undertaking for the common good. These are their personal and professional stories. Hello, this is Brian Powell, class of 2003 and current Senior Director of Development here at Grove City College. And I'm joined today by alumnus Michael Lazarus, class of 1977. Michael's one of our accomplished alumni and is a past recipient of the Jack Kennedy Memorial Alumni Achievement Award. Raised in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Michael earned his bachelor's degree in accounting from Grove City College. Michael launched his career with PwC, where he hired David Rathburn, class of 79, his new Lambda Phi fraternity brother, who later become Grove City's longtime chairman of the board. Michael was the co-founder and managing partner of Weston Presidio and a, and a founding partner of Main Post Partners. These combined private equity firms manage over $5 billion in assets. Michael currently serves on the board of directors of companies like Azul Brazilian Airlines, Breeze Airways, Fender Musical Instruments Corporation, and he's the managing partner of LASCAP, a family office investing in seed and early stage growth companies. He was previously the founding chairman of JetBlue Airways and served on the board of directors for some of the best known names in retail, including Restoration Hardware, Guitar Center, Jimmy John's, and numerous other privately held companies. He's also been active serving in the community as the board chair of San Francisco Jazz and trustee of the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami, Bowdoin College, and the San Francisco Day School. Michael has a long and successful history in the business world. He's known for his ability to build strong relationships and has earned a reputation as one of the top business minds. He's a guest lecturer at many of the top business schools, including Stanford, University of Chicago, Emory, Claremont, UC Berkeley, and Grove City College. Michael lives in the Bay Area with his wife, Laura. Michael's had a long and successful story in the business world, and we are grateful to have him join us here, part of our Mid the Pines podcast. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Michael, to start the conversation today, I thought I thought maybe you could share just how you ended up at Grove City College in the first place. Yeah, boy, that uh, if you have a couple hours, I can tell you the tale, but I'll give you the short story. My siblings and I are first to college. Um, my parents didn't go to college, and uh, so we were not very sophisticated in the process. I I was uh, on the waiting list at Rutgers University in uh, New Jersey. And um, so we finally, you know, we talked to an admissions person. And they, oh, you're in, you're in, just wait. We waited, waited. And of course it was August and I got rejected, um, you know, because I just, well, I took them for their word. Anyway, my backup school was um, University of Bridgeport. So I thought, wow, New England, this will be exciting. You know, and off I went for a semester uh, there. It was not a good experience. I, I'm actually pretty dyslexic. I had a lot of learning issues. So I was a, a solid C kind of student at high school. And I had a, a, a econ professor named James Fenner. And he was a famous guy, Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, and Smith. And he mm. was doing it for fun. Um, so I took a class from him. And first quiz, he called me up. He said, you know, son, you're 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 dyslexic. You got learning issues. And I said, what? What do you mean? So he basically taught me how to study the chapter, you know, highlighted in yellow, take a yellow pad, 
write down everything you highlighted in yellow, study the pad. And I started doing that. I thought, oh my gosh, this kind of wrote, you know, it basically taught me how to work around my dyslexia. And of course the grades went from C's in high school days, you know, so I got lucky. And then I realized I'm in the wrong school. So I did get, um, I talked to my guidance counselor and uh, um, this is all during a period where my father sadly had a heart attack at 49. Um, mm. So we kind of lost everything, but you know, he was stable. And by the way, he lived till he was 70. But anyway, uh, long and short of it was uh, I was accepted at University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton undergrad school. And um, it was like $8,000. We had nothing. And then she said, you know, there's this little gem of a college in Western Pennsylvania. And originally, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh. And I said, I don't know it. And she said, it looks like Williams College, which is, you know, a beautiful school and had incredible, you know, pre-everything, pre-med, pre-law and had a very good accounting department. I mean, a top accounting department. And it's $1,700 as compared to Penn. And my Mm. father said, let's not go into debt, you know, and uh, so I applied and got accepted. And I, so I was a transfer student. I came second semester freshman year. Well, you could probably unpack for, as you said, a couple hours, just overcoming adversity in the that early part of your story and how that's played itself out through the rest of your journey and your career to this point. I guess the point of it is, is, you know, we were just your basic middle-class family, my father's business, we lost it all. You had those those early days, those early memories uh, that was very formative in terms of your curiosity for business. Yeah, you know, um, both sides uh, of my family were retailers. And even my grandfather, I would go to our store in Pittsburgh, big furniture retailers on my dad's side with jewelry. Um, everyone thinks we're part of the Lazaruses in Columbus. You know, it's Federated and uh, Charlie Lazarus, who founded Toys R Us. That's Mm -hmm. not us. Uh, But I did learn a lot about, um, well, those people skills, you know, come out when you're in the business serving others, which I think is very important for any young person. Uh, But, you know, my dad was one of those, you know, you got to learn the language of business and that's accounting. You need to know how the math works in anything you do. And I wanted to be a, you know, professional drummer and, you know, that, that, that's not going to pay very well. Um, but the business you're in, no matter what it is in the arts or whatever, is there's a model to it. And um, so I learned those kind of little lessons along the way. And uh, I took his advice. And uh, even though I was not good in accounting, it was a very good discipline. So you, you get to Grove City uh, for pretty formative years. I mean, we're kind of jumping forward. We're going to jump back. I, what did you hone? What did you gain? What did you take with you? from your Grove City days that has aided you at Montgomery and, and all of these stops along the way? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I learned uh, many years ago, people migrate to the things that come most naturally to them. Um, and that's Peter Drucker, by the way. That's the, um, you know, that's part of his a very interesting um, memo he wrote called Managing Oneself. You always kind of migrate to those. Everyone has a natural gift. Um, and I, I get kind of my energy from others. So that's what uh, keeps me going. I, I think Grove City gave me an opportunity to build my uh, people skills. Not so much my educational skills. I wasn't a great student. But, you know, um, I was vice president of the student body and ran student affairs. I got to go to all the board meetings, which I learned a lot. 
you know, um, the president of the student body and me would get to go every quarter and sit in and they would drill us about what's going on on campus and stuff. But, you know, I was president of the men's governing board and had a radio show, very active in uh, the new lamb fraternity. Um, so I think the culture of the school gave me those opportunities. I'm not a religious guy. I'm probably the only Jewish kid who ever went to Grove City. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there are more. But um, I learned a lot of kind of life lessons mm. uh, from even going to chapel. I was a very big fan of Bruce Steelman, who was the dean of the chapel. Um, was, but he was mm. a music nut. You know, I used to go down and listen to jazz. He had incredible collection. He probably had a thousand albums with Voice of the Theater speakers. I mean, he was a music audiophile. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed that guy. And, um, and they were not religious kind of thoughts on the, those nine o'clock, you know, go to chapel things. There were more life lessons, which um, I took a lot away from. I think everyone, especially young people, I mean, for me, music was interesting because I started playing um, and taking lessons, really well-known music uh, drum school in Pittsburgh called Fabrizi's. And I was really into it. It wasn't a natural talent, but, you know, playing in bands when you're 10, 11, mm. you know, um, that, that'll give you confidence. And I think everyone needs to build their confidence early. Everyone has a gift, right? And, um, and that, was, that was, for me, was music. I just loved it. So. You talked about music and, and even just honing some of your people skills. You, you obviously did, though, have some time, I imagine, with uh, Larry Fleming to hone some of your accounting skills while you were there? You know, um, uh, it's it's interesting. Like I mentioned, uh, I, I had the chance to meet Peter Drucker at Claremont. He was uh, taught leadership and management at the graduate school. And he said, everyone has a natural gift. You got to find it early. They call it the mirror test. You hold up a mirror when you're younger and say, what am I good at? What am I awful at? You know, a lot of people uh, will work hard for all the wrong reasons. Like my, my father wanted me to be a lawyer. This was not a good idea. So you know, if you figure out in the senior partner at Pricewaterhouse, when I worked uh, overseas in London, he said, people like you, I don't know why, Michael and Trustee, you, you should probably be an investor-ish kind of person. You can read people very well. You're awful at accounting. I said, I know, Ian. Yeah. But um, <laughs> then that's how I got to that. But I will tell you, at Grove City, there was a lot of people that influenced me. I mean, the guy who ran the accounting department who would flunk out all the business majors, um, an intermediate accountant was this guy, Havrilla, and he was just retiring, thank God for me, because, you know, he, he would wash out. It was the same thing as kids who wanted to become doctors and could you get through, you know, organic chemistry. Anyway, so I had uh, both Fleming and Otto, and those guys were great. They were very mm. wonderful with me and got me through it. Um, and if anyone would remember, intermediate accounting was Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. There were a couple other people. You know, uh, my fraternity was really the soccer team. I, I played uh, – well, I sat the bench in high school playing soccer. I love soccer, and all my fraternity brothers and close friends, friends all played soccer. So I got to know Lyle. And Coach Lyle, you know, what I guess most people – don't focus on was he was a young kid when he was mm. the coach. I mean, we were in our, you know, 19, 20, I don't think he was more than 25. And he, right. he had a 
great leadership style. I really, I just uh, really admired him. A really good guy. There is another guy, David McKellop, who was, uh, he was very close to Inuit Lambs and his wife, Diane. And they, uh, I learned a lesson from those two. Um, they were, you know, the old line, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. They mm. were very good listeners. And um, David, uh, really thoughtful guy. Um, you know, he really thought things through before he answered. I, so I learned to, you know, shut up and then uh, think about it before I respond. And I think the, the the wild card was this woman, Lois Hamilton, who's still around. I know she's yes. in Grove City. And That's her husband, right. Jack. Um, I learned how to treat people from that woman. She just, um, she's special. And, mm. um, you know, when you have that kind of a positive attitude um, and um, um, passion for the things she did, and, I, you know, I couldn't, um, you know, throw a pot, you know, in her ceramics class to save my life. But I just, I was, you know, to this day, I mean, there's something unique about her. Her husband, a great local kind of entrepreneur, he was a service provider. He was old school. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'd walk in and he would call me sir. You know, this is a man, you know, 25, 30 years older than me. He just had a style about him that you learn to serve. You have the opportunity to speak with a lot of business students, uh, really some of the leading business schools around the country. And I know you've shared with me just uh, as the years have gone on how proud you are of how well-prepared Grove City students are for the world. Um, what are some of those qualities that you're looking for when you're making an investment? And what do you see in what Grove City is doing that makes them valuable contributors in this world? When it comes to investing, you know, um, I guess I would say uh, character is everything. You know, I start with the leader, and that's where I end. I mean, uh, there's old in the venture business. Some people back the jockey, some people back the horse. Not me, and especially in consumer companies where it's all how, how you motivate your troops. I've, I've told people at Stanford and Chicago and other schools that I'm in the human capital business. I'm not in the venture business. I stopped looking at the spreadsheets early. We had great people who could do that. What I wanted to know is, you know, the character of someone, their intelligence, their passion and energy, their communication skills. Um, what's the culture like of the organization? And people used to, you know, all our, our, our guys would, and women would do all their due diligence. And they started interviewing everyone below the CEO, you know, and all the C-suite roles, CFO and uh you know, CMO and others, I would go down two layers and, and ask the same questions. And when I heard the same messaging, then I knew I had a, uh, a leader who was selling the gospel. And you need, uh, just like our CEO, David Nealman at JetBlue and all the other airlines, you know, they're all crew member, they're all people, businesses. And, and even Jimmy John, you know, who made sandwiches. Uh, a lot of sandwiches, but they were all kind of pie pipers, you know, and um, uh, people liked them, trust them, and followed them. I think from that standpoint, that's what I focus on. But as I looked at kids coming out of college today at Grove City, you know, I, and I've told this to my own children, I mean, you've got to really um, be curious. You've got to be a lifelong learner. You know, mm. I, it doesn't stop when you graduate. 
it's really the beginning. But I do believe that you got to always be learning from everybody. Um, the other lesson I kind of learned out of the accounting department from Fleming and those guys was you have to be prepared. And nothing better than when I interview young people. They come in and they are they know what they're getting into. They know the business they're interviewing. They know what that role is. They know my background. You know, I think that's very important, being prepared for everything. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, that whole the natural talents, you really need to uh, focus in on that um, early on because you're going to migrate to it anyway. And you're going to be happier if you're focused on things that that are part of your DNA um, that you love. I also find that uh, the people that are focused tend to do better. You can't do everything. I always like to interview people over a meal um, mm. because you watch and see how people treat others. You know, the server, do they look at them? Are they courteous to them? But I've always had these views that, you know, winners are not born, they're made. That's why you want to hang around people that are positive, you know, and have good attitudes. There's a great book called The Growth Mindset. That's a, that's a really good book to read. It's really where, you know, uh, adversity and small failures will really help you in your career. And I think a lot of people with a fixed mindset is, you know, they're they're so afraid to make a mistake and fail a little bit. You know, it's it's okay to fail. Fail small and then learn from that and then move on. Um, like everything, you need the support. Uh, of others to achieve any worthwhile goal. Hmm. It's a team effort in anything you do, in my view. I think um, attitude is everything. I hire for attitude, train for ability in early uh, positions. Um, And I want to see that passion. You know, they've got to be excited about this. No one wants to be around a downer, especially in, you know, early jobs. The whole be prepared, good manners. It doesn't take a lot of effort to show a little kindness. The mm. please and thank yous matter to me. Someone stands up, you walk into a room, you know, and you just got to learn to serve. You know, everyone's got a boss. I mean, you know, I was our CEO or managing partner, but I had a board. Everyone's works for That's somebody. Right. right oh, it's so good. I mean, John Maxwell said what people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. These are some things. They don't require any talent, but these are no. things that, uh, that that you must do uh, in order to be successful. And, and you're just a, such a big believer in hard work and, and working smartly. And so I think it was April 12th, 2002, pretty big day in the life of JetBlue and your life. What was it like to see the company go public? Uh, someone who studied accounting at Grove City. I mean, these are, of course, then, you know, early days after September 11th one of the only airlines, right, that was profitable during that time. I mean, there's just so much to, please, take us in. Yeah, boy, that's, um, you know, it's funny. Um, <clears throat> when we set up Western Presidio, uh, our investors were primarily English. And uh, some of the fabulous institutions in uh, London with our lead investor is called Mercury Asset Management, which is S.G. Warburg. Uh, similar to the Goldman uh, only of Europe, you know, that kind of a firm. They were fabulous class act. We had Rolls-Royce and the BBC and Sainsbury and a lot of great, great names. But anyway, our first investment was an airline. 
it was called Morris Air actually that we did in 91 or 92. And um, our uh, sponsor and our board member was a guy named Ian Armitage, who's a brilliant guy, funny, funny guy. And uh, by the way, when I lived in London, everyone was named Ian, Simon or Graham, you know, so it was, <laughs> I couldn't forget Ian's name. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Ian was great. And uh, we we committed to do this um, this airline that was a charter was converting to a carrier run by David Nealman, this 31-year-old. Uh, I was 35. And uh, June Morris was the uh, patriarch of the business, and she had built the largest travel agency in, uh, in Utah, Morris Travel. But anyway, this was an $80 million business making, I don't know, 7 or $8 million, beautifully run. And so I called Ian, and I said, Ian, Ian, we're about to make our first investment. He goes, right, great. What is it? I said, it's an airline. And I heard click. And he hung up on me. <laughs> and I called him back. Did, did you just hang up on me? <laughs> but, you know, as, as Warren Buffett used to say, how do you make a small fortune? You know, take a right. large fortune and invest in an airline. Um, but anyway, um, I walked him through it in the math. And he was like, all right, all right, good luck on this one. But um so that was the that was the first experience and David um actually June got uh, cancer really bad breast cancer and about a year after we were in the deal and uh, she wanted to sell we were about to go public actually the business was beautiful they never touched any of our capital they didn't need it um and then you know she said Michael I think you know it's better if we sell cuz I don't know if I'm going to make it and we did we sold to Southwest and uh who were just one of the great companies in America. We talk about a great culture with Herb Kelleher and Gary, all the guys who, uh, you know, were there. Just it was an incredible business. So anyway, we did that. Uh, David went up to um, WestJet uh, to Canada and back these guys. It was called WestJet. Uh, they were real estate developers. So again, as you know, I'd like to back the horse and David wasn't going to run it. And it did very, very well. But the JetBlue story uh, was an interesting one because, you know, as a venture capitalist, you, you find a great entrepreneur, you stay close. And I would go up there every quarter, and David was under a five-year not-compete with Southwest. And uh, I, I visited with him and his partner, Tom Kelly, and we were having breakfast at the uh, an old hotel called Little America. And I said, uh, what, what do we? What, what's next? He goes, Michael, let's start a new airline. I said, Oh, great. Oh, joy. You know, and he said, I need one hundred and thirty million dollars. This guy has no business plan yet. Right. And I said, uh, why? And he said, you know, I think we can bring humanity back to air travel. I said, well, mm. that's a good idea because it's awful. You know, and he, he'd look at me and say, chicken or beef, chicken or beef. You know, I mean, things were bad on planes, you know, and, and the food was not edible either. And um, I said, well, what's the you know strategy? David, what's the big idea? And he leaned over, got really close to me, and he's looking around so no one could hear him. And he said, uh, I said, why New York? And he leaned over and he said, well, that's where all the people live. And I thought, mm. well, I started laughing. So anyway, we teamed up with him, wrote the business plan over actually two years. It took a long term uh, time to uh, raise the money, most of our limiteds, and to build that team. You know, it was really hard to get people to leave Southwest and Delta and great, you know, cultures and good airlines. And and that's when we got started. Um, 
you know, 9-11 was uh, quite a wake-up call. You know, I was the chair of the board, you know, the largest investor in our firm. And um, so we didn't want to screw this up. We had $30 million at risk back in the day. And, um, yeah, well, it was bad. And we, we used to have these bridge lines, actually, that most airlines have. It's an open line. So if there are any problems, there's a uh, an emergency uh, system where it basically calls your cell phone and your house phone and your business phone and your text you. And, and uh, so this was like, I don't know, quarter of six in the morning, San Francisco time when the uh, attacks happened. And I picked up, you know, all the phones are ringing in my house. I, I pick up the phone and all I hear is a, a guy from the FAA saying to our crew, our exec crew, ground your planes and we'll shoot you down. Mm. This is a good way to wake up in the morning. Wow. And uh, we got all our planes on the ground, um, I think within 15 minutes. We had 17 aircraft in the group. And we were small. We we're New York's hometown airline. We're a startup in New York. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm shaking now. We powered through it. And um, it was, you know, a very awful, scary time, especially for our crew members. And, um, and most of our pilots actually were military but, you know, mm-hmm. they had spouses and they didn't want their husbands or wives on those planes, you know, flying. But, you know, what got us through it is is leadership and, and strong management. And what you learn about, one, a, a big lesson I learned is how you manage and market a business is from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So I was always concerned about the branding. And uh, by the way, if you can brand a service, you're going to make a lot of money. JetBlue mm-hmm. is really a brand. was a really, it still is, I think, a pretty good brand. But David and the team used to say, our job as leadership is to take care of the crew. The crew, we had 11,000 people, you know, it was pretty big. The crew's job is is to take care of our customers, our passengers. And then the passenger's job is to take care of your share price. So Michael, just, you know, go away, you know, we got this right. And I think a lot of businesses who do that, who market from the inside out, it really does make a difference. I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, people always ask me about JetBlue is where do all the ideas come from? And interestingly, Neilman, David, our CEO, um, I used to go out to New York every other week for these crew member meetings, exec crew. And we put on a whiteboard, you know, all the, what do you hate? You know, the DMV, the post office, things that aren't working, you know, in America, in airlines, there were too many things to count. And David said, well, I think everyone should fly the airline once a week everyone in the crew exec crew love it that include that include the cfo uh, the general counsel you know these are people that are uh, customer facing people and um, their idea was and we had a fabulous head of marketing um, amy curtis who i've worked with on uh, i don't know how many projects she was our original cmo and uh ann rhodes who was head of people at southwest and the idea was uh, everyone who was on this exec crew had to walk down the aisle during the flight and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Michael Lazarus. I'm chairman of JetBlue. And I had one question. How can we make this better? Smile, mm. shut up. And, you know, all the great ideas uh, for JetBlue came from our consumers, our passengers. My My two favorite ones that I got credit for was uh, this guy was, he said, oh, Michael, great. He goes, well, I'd like a 
lid on my coffee cup. I said, what? He goes, you know, I, I'm traveling and, you know, I only take one suit and all this turbulence. And then I got to drink half the cup, you know, because I don't want to spill. And why can't you put a lid, you know, like they do at Starbucks, you know, put a lid on the cup. I thought, well, what a good idea. So I took his card, wrote lid on the cup. Um, we approved it as we started implementing it. And then we sent him two tickets wherever we fly. Amazing. Thanks. And by the way, that guy would tell 8,000 of his clothes. I'm sure he did. Yeah. Yeah. And the second one I got credit for was um, I was walking down the aisle and a woman uh, had, oh, my God, you know, traveling with children. Um, And she had like a toddler, you know, the two-year-old or three-year-old. And she said, why don't you guys just give me a cup of a little bottle of water when we get on the plane? And I said, why? She goes, you know, because then I don't have to wait till you're at 10,000 feet to either take my pill or give my kids some water. It's just like, you know, it would just make life a lot easier. You know, people are nervous when they fly. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So we approved that. And um, and we, we had that going actually up until about a year ago. It just got too much. But everyone got a bottle of water so they didn't have to wait. Mm. And that that made a big difference leadership and culture i mean is it is it creating it or sustaining it that's more challenging well creating it you better start with people who leaders who understand it and can communicate it uh sustaining it is um is the is the big win i'll give you a great example with azul or JetBlue or breeze now our new airline what you want to do is create a self-policing culture. So uh, an airline, which is much worse than all the retailers, is a retailer that never closes because mm. you're running red eyes. The, the business never stops. The best example is, is when you have uh, flight attendants on a flight. And they're in the back and, you know, you do runs with garbage and you go through and drinks and all that stuff. And you're on a red eye and one flight attendant is in the back punching away on crackers. And the other flight attendant says, it's time we have to do our garbage run or whatever it is. And she, I'm just, I'm eating, you know, I'm munching away or having whatever. And you want that other employee or crew member to say, but that's not what, that's not the way we do it here at JetBlue. When you create that kind of self-policing culture where people uh, take pride in what they do, you're going to win. You're going to win big. Those are those are the signs where you know you got it right. And I would be on other airlines and I would be flying and I'd go in the back and I'm always kind of listening. And you would hear two or three flight attendants complaining terribly about the leadership of their airline mm-hmm. and how and then you say to yourself well gee you know they don't support the crew you know how are they going to treat me mm-hmm. so those are the kind of lessons if you get it right and you train people and again hire for attitude train for abilities i'll give you another great example of what really was special at JetBlue. so for many years, there was a um, real uh, shortage of flight attendants. You know, it doesn't really pay that well, uh, but you get travel benefits. You get to travel. And I think it's part of the excitement of it. But, you know, um, the problem with flight attendants is that 
they're fabulous on Monday morning. You know, hi, would you like some coffee? And smiling. Tuesday, you know, it's great. By the time Friday comes, they're like, you know, you ask them for something, they'll say, what? You know, I mean, they're they're burned out. They're tired. It, it, it is hard work. So um, we, we were at a board meeting. We came up with this idea of why don't we just hire uh, people that otherwise would not be in the workforce part-time. So you can work two days a week. So we would hire these people who were incredible um, for two days a week. You know, they were still positive where they weren't burned out. And if you found someone who had that kind of natural people skills, we would say, do you have any friends? And you would share weekly run with your friend. And then you also would be responsible for seeing how they do. So we were building these pyramid schemes within the airline. And some flight attendants had 20 people kind of that they brought to JetBlue. Mm -hmm. So you had people with very like-minded, um, service-oriented. And, uh, you know, if they were that way, their friends are kind of that way. And we had a fabulous uh, workforce because of that. Michael, I'm I'm going to venture to guess that anybody listening to our podcast is a lifelong learner akin to everything that you've kind of articulated. So any other, you've mentioned, you've referenced uh, growth mindset, you've referenced Peter Drucker. When you think about resources and books that have impacted you and that you share with others, what's on what's on that shorter list of resources that you've turned to that have yeah. impacted you? Yeah, the, I mean, I'm telling you, everyone should read, uh, and you can download it online. Um, it's called uh, Peter Drucker's. And he told me, he said, I, you know, the guy had written hundreds of books and he was like, 80 or 90 when I met him and I was, you know, I'm, I'm always asking questions and I was curious. I said, Peter, what I should, what should I read? And he said, just one article it's called managing oneself. And, um, it's how do you learn? You know, some people, my wife's super smart. She learns by reading. I, I don't, I can't read well. I learn by listening, you know, it's all part. Of it. So mm -hmm. I would read that article. Um, I do love that book called the growth mindset. I used to have a, CEO, uh, Scott Galloway, he's a professor now at uh, NYU. This dude is incredible. And uh, he ran a company for us when he was young. It was called Red Envelope. It was a gifting business. Red Envelope is uh, a tradition in the Asian community. You get a little envelope that has money in it and stuff or whatever. Anyway, so that was the name of it. It was during the internet boom. And he has uh, one book, I think it's called The Algebra of Happiness, very interesting book, and um, you know he's killed it. He's done incredibly well in consulting, and um, I, I think he. I listened to some of his podcasts. You know, John Maxwell. You know, he writes some of these silly books, but they're really good about leadership. And I've mm -hmm. read most of those books, um, and you can pick those up anywhere. You know, I think he does a really good job of that. I do read a lot of nonfiction and mostly about leaders and, um, um, you know, people kind of built this country and, uh, you, you learn a lot from reading about the founding fathers. You really do, you know, from all of them, from Franklin, Washington, Adams, and I read the books on Churchill, all these leaders are very interesting and you will learn a lot about how they handled, uh, adversity and, um, strategy and long-term thinking and, uh, so I'm just kind of a fan of those reading biographies. 
I can't thank you enough, uh, Michael, for your time today. You have an incredible story, uh, and it's not done yet. Uh, I feel like we've just barely even scratched the surface on on you know some of the takeaways. But I think there's some there's some wonderfully rich things that we talked about here in your journey that uh, our podcast listeners are just are just going to love. And uh, yeah, just thank you for sharing sharing your experiences from Grove City and and how you've invested in so many wonderful companies that honestly impact every one of our lives uh, just about on a daily basis when you think about some of the companies you're truly making a difference and uh, you've been an inspiration to me i'm sure you will for our podcast listeners thank you again for the wonderful ways that you bring honor to grove city college thanks brian and can i leave you with one last leadership thought absolutely so when i was uh, my little brother in the fraternity was david rathburn this guy i knew was going to do something very unique. So, you know, I went to Pricewaterhouse. I hired Dave. This guy, talk about focus, people skills. He had all this stuff. So here's my little, I'll leave you with, you know, when you identify leadership early in your career. So Dave, you know, ended up um, buying out, um, you know, the, the Hopeman's interest in the boat business. And so he called me with some advice and he needed to raise some money. And, you know, when you see leaders early on in your career, you just run, you just, you know, give them the money, get out of the way. So I said, David, David, you know, I, I, I'm going to help you. I'll, I'll put some money, you know, it wasn't even the firm. He didn't need that much. And he figured out how to do it, you know, with the banks. And I said, oh, darn, this is going to be big. And, you know, and, and what did he do? He built his fabulous business. And um, he, he was a give back kind of guy. And, you know, um, I've always been grateful for people who give back like that. And I think he's been incredible leadership for the college. And, uh, but, you know, there's another example, you know, you see it early of people who have those kind of gifts and, um, um, and, and their ability to share their, you know, their insight and their knowledge and their wealth and their time. And uh, so that's a shout out for David. Two great men, you and David both. And again, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Home is where everything... Thank you for listening to the Mid the Pines podcast. Explore more episodes at alumni.gcc.edu slash podcast. Our co-producers are Joni Baumgartner and Amy Evans. Research provided by Janice Zinsner Inman, class of 1987. Audio editing is provided by Jennifer Hiles. Our theme music is Home, courtesy of the family of the late David M. Bailey, class of 1988. Contact us at alumni at gcc.edu for more information. We hope you'll join us again, Mid the Pines.